Hey, I want to welcome you. If this is your first time checking out Elevate Church, my name is Colby. I'm the pastor. I would love to have an opportunity to meet with you. But you picked a great week uh, to come to church because we're starting week one of a brand new series called Know Thyself. So this kind of week has that, um, that fresh new series smell to it. You know what I'm talking about? I'm super excited to take you through this content over the next several weeks. And today, I really have one goal. And that is to just lay a foundation for where we are going to go. And my heart is this. If you can grab a hold of this, in fact, let me just say this. For some people in this room, this today, and this is not hype, this is not a false hype, this could be the most important message you've ever heard. And here's why. If you can grab a hold of this truth that I want to share with you, it could change your entire life. I really do believe that. And so kind of while we dive into the, the content, I just have to lay some, some groundwork. And at the end of our message today, I have one thing that I want to share with you that I want you to be able to hold on to. So stick with me, take some notes, really try to maybe lean in. Today's gonna be a little more on the teachy side, but I'm believing that it's got some preach in it somewhere along the way as well, all right? So if you guys are ready to go, say, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right, good, man, I love that. 1230's ready. Um, how many of you know that motive, by definition, is the reason or reason that you do things? That's what it motive means. That's what motivate means. It's kind of like your motive is to, to do something, to, to take action on something. And we all have motives for the things that we do. Motives in our life will motivate us to take action. Action. Some of you, maybe you're a senior in high school. By the way, do we have any high school seniors in the 1230? Yeah, all right, awesome. Like, like you're motivated to graduate high school. You're motivated, so you're like, you see the finish line coming. You're motivated to start that next chapter in your life, or it could be in your career. Like you're motivated in your career to succeed. You're motivated by needing validation or affirmation or whatever the case may be because you want to kind of further yourself in your career. There's some motive behind that. Maybe you're an athlete and you're motivated because of that to, to work out, to get your swell on, go to the gym, eat raw eggs, whatever you do, you know, kind of thing. Because you're motivated to do that. I would like to submit to you that every single thing that you've ever done in your life, anything that you've ever, uh, you know, kind of impacted or something that's, that you've been a part of, every single thing is the result of some motivation that you have, some motive behind it. Every accomplishment, every um, step that you've taken has a motive to it, every single thing. I did a, a triathlon, a sprint triathlon a few years ago, my first and my last, by the way. Um, because someone dared me. In fact, someone said, I bet you can't do this. And how many of you know, if you want to get me to do something, tell me I can't do it, right? You tell me I can't do it, I'm going to do it. That's what my wife knows that about me. And that applies in every area of my life except for yard work, all right? If she says, I bet you can't mow the lawn today, I'm like, I bet you're right. I can't mow the lawn today. But most other areas of my life, I know it is childish, you know, but if they say, I bet you can't, I bet you can't, I'm going to do it. And my friend told me, I bet you can't, you know, do this triathlon. I'm like, I, I bet you're wrong. I can do it, all right? And can I tell you something? That um, the last three miles of the run, some of you that are familiar with it, you're like, the run is only 3.1 mile. Yeah, don't judge me, all right? The entire last three miles of this run, I was praying to God that I wanted to die. Like, God, take my life. 
You can, you know, Jesus, you could come back at any moment now. I've had a good life. You know, I'm, I'm done. I prayed, I prayed to God that he, he would kill me uh, because my wife would be better off with me dead financially. Come on, life insurance policy. Then she was, you know, with me alive. Some of you, if your wives knew how much life insurance you had, you would be scared tonight. So just sleep with one eye open. But I didn't quit. And the reason I didn't quit was because of a motivation. I was motivated. I was motivated by a royal shaming that I could receive if I hadn't finished the race. I was motivated by this guy that told me I couldn't do something. I was motivated to continue on. Everything in your life is the result of some motivation that you had to take action. So whether it is finishing high school, like you're motivated. Maybe your motivation is to move out, right? Because, you know, how many of you remember finishing high school and you're like, you couldn't wait to graduate and move out. And some parents are like, no, not my kid. My kid loves me. They love you, but they want to move out, all right? Just so you know. Maybe your motivation to succeed in your job, you know, is because, is because you want validation. You want affirmation. Maybe it's, maybe it's a dollar thing. You want your finances to look differently. And so you're motivated by those things. Maybe you do a training in the career that you have, some continuing education unit so that you can maintain, you know, this progression that you have in your job. Everything that you've done and that I've done and accomplished is a result of some motivation. Now, at this point, it's irrelevant whether that motivation was good or bad, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. The reality is everything that we do in life is because uh, there is a motive for it. Now, a lot of times people will think that's negative. In fact, even in that definition of motive, it said the motive to commit murder, right? We think of it as, oh, what's your motive? What's your motive behind this? But motive can be positive as well. Motives can, uh, good motives can propel you to a new level in your, in your life. And there are two different sides of, of motivation. I want to give these to you. I want you to jot these down. Um, they are foundational for the message. Some of you like or is he ever going to read out of God's word? Yes, I am. I am a Bible preacher. We will get there. All right, just hang on. This is important to lay a foundation, though. There are two sides to motivation. And one is you are motivated by something, and then you are motivated to something. You're motivated by it, and you're motivated to it. And it's important to know that because if, if you know, motive is the reason that you've accomplished anything in your life, then you should know what motive is. We are motivated by something and we are motivated to something. I was motivated by my friend to run that race. I was motivated by the potential of a, a royal shaming to finish it. I was motivated by something to something. Now, this is true for you right now. In fact, you were motivated by something to something in order to be here at church this afternoon. Now, you didn't process it like that. Maybe you didn't wake up this morning and think, hey, you know what? I'm motivated by something to something to go to church today. But it's still the, the truth is the same for you. That you were motivated by, maybe it was a love of God. Maybe it was a love for the house of God. Maybe it was to worship with people together. Maybe you love people and you wanted to serve, serve people and get connected. Maybe you needed a, a word from God today for something in your life that you are, are going through. It doesn't matter what, you, what it was. You were motivated by something to do something. And as a result, you are sitting here right now. You were motivated. Maybe some of you were motivated, and I hope this isn't all of you, but let's be honest. Some of you, you might be motivated to be here by guilt. 
because of something in your life. Maybe someone guilted you or your own guilt that you carry, and that's the reason why you decided to show up to church today, because you're motivated by, by guilt. And if that's you, I want you to know I'm, that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But we want you to feel guilty. That's not what God wants for you. He wants you to feel encouraged and lifted up and to feel, to feel good about your life. And I'm praying by the time you leave here, you'll feel encouraged. And I know a lot of people will push back and say, elevate church. They just, want you to, they just want you to feel good. That's all. It's a feel-good church. It's a feel-good church. Can I ask you something? What's the alternative? A feel-bad church? Hey, let's all go to that church that makes us feel bad every time we go, right? So maybe guilt motivated you to be here. Maybe obligation motivated you to be here. Maybe this, this you know, responsibility for checking the church box or, or you know, you see church as more of a, a duty than you see it as, a, as being a delight. And I'm praying at some point that, that flip, uh, that switch flips inside your heart and you see you get to go to church. It's not a, I got to go to church. But you get to go and worship. Maybe you're here because your, your motivation was that your parents told you you're coming to church today. You gotta get here and go to church. And that you have great parents, by the way, if they told you that. But we all are, yeah, we're motivated to something, and we are motivated by something, by something. Those would be the, the reasons that we do what we do, and the results would be the, what we are motivated to take action on. I want to put it this way. I'm going to draw for you guys today. Man, what a special day. I'm going to draw. Look at that circle. Amazing. Um, let's call the thing that you are motivated to do, we're going to call that your What? We're going to call that the results. We're going to call that, you know, the action that you were taking. Our results are, are, are what? We are all mo- motivated to do something. You're here in church today. That's your what? And a lot of times when something breaks in our life or we have an issue in our life, we often look at fixing the what? Let's take care of that. If I don't like my, my job anymore, you know, then I'm going to get a new job. I'm just going to fix my what by doing something different. If I don't like the relationship that I'm in anymore, I need a new what? I need a new relationship. If I don't like the way my finances look right now, I need to fix something externally that's going to help my financial picture. And a lot of the conversations that I have with people are focused on the what. Colby, what should I do about this? How can I get to, to here, where I, where I need to be? It's on the what. But I'm going to submit today, that's a bad place for us to start. Now, what is important, don't hear me wrong, the results are, are important in your, your life, but I'm going to propose that's a terrible place for us to start. In fact, that there is something deeper than the what. That maybe it's not, I just need to change my relationships, I need to change my, my job. You know, that there's something beneath the, the what. And the reason why some of us feel like we're on this merry-go-round and we're constantly spinning our, our wheels. And it's the same situation, just a different scenario every time. New job, new relationship, it doesn't matter. Is because we're dealing with the what, but we've never dealt with what's beneath the what. And we're going to call that the Why? The why beneath the what. The why is the reason, right, that you do what you do. The why is the reason that you act on that and you get the, the what. You have the what and you have the why. And the why is, is what is the motivated to, motivated to do something. So I propose to all of us in this room, at some point we've had a broken why. We've had a broken reason for doing the things that we we do. Colby, why is that? It's because life happens. 
It's because we've all had negative experiences in our life, bad things happen to us, that we've all had these crazy moments, we've made some some bad decisions and reasons for for the things that we do, according to the great theologian Miranda Lambert. Some of us are just better at hiding our crazy than others. But we've all had some broken things in our life. We've all had some broken whys. And here's why that's important. Because our whys broken, we hop from relationship to relationship to relationship, facing the same thing over and over. We hop from job to job to job because, you know, we didn't like our old job or we didn't like our old boss, and so we're gonna change our what, we're gonna fix our our what, and so we tried something different, went to a new place only to discover that it wasn't the old boss, it wasn't the people that were there, but it was the person, you know, that went to the new job because wherever you go, there you are, right? That's the reason why we do different things and we change things externally trying to fix our our what. And we think the next promotion, that's good. I'm finally going to make it. Then the next, you know, pay increase. If I make that much money, then that's going to fix everything. But how many of you know it doesn't? And perhaps the source of our problems has less to do with the results, has less to do with the what. And if we don't fix you, if I don't fix me, what's on the inside then I'm gonna continue to have the same problems over and over again. And it could be that the common denominator in all of our issues is us. So our why is not the end layer either. That there is one layer deeper. And this is what I wanna give you today. This is what I believe God has for us. Uh, And we see this this next layer in the life of a guy named Paul. Now when we first meet this this apostle Paul, uh, his name is Saul. And before, before he is... He is Paul. Uh, he's actually, uh, before he goes out and plants churches and writes half of the, the New Testament that we read, uh, before all of that, he is a Christian hater. He's a Christian killer. Uh, he didn't like them. He wasn't, you know, didn't want anything to do with them. In fact, the first time we meet him, the Bible tells us in Acts 9 1. Meanwhile, Saul, that was his name before Paul, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And so he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, the way were the people that that believed Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus had come, he'd been crucified, dead, buried, come back to life, and they were part of the, the group, the following of Jesus that was telling everyone that Jesus was who he said he was, he is crucified, dead, buried, came back to life, we're following him. So they were known as the way, this is the early followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So the first time we meet Saul, he hates Christians. He, he wants to, you know, get rid of them. He wants to wipe them off the face of the, the earth. And so we can see this process in his life. We can see the what from Saul was that, that he wanted to, you know, kill Christians. He wanted to, to remove them. That was his what. And his why was because he hated them. His why, because they, they threatened his lifestyle, his way of living. See, the religious people of the day, you know, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and it would change their whole system of religion, their whole system that they had, had you know, really developed. And so it threatened that. So his why was because he hated them. His what was because, you know, his what was he wanted to rid the world of them. So he was motivated by something and motivated to something. That's the way motivation works. He's motivated by his anger, and he was motivated to imprison them, persecute them, and remove them from the face of the earth. But something happened. 
to Paul. Something happened in the next verse. It says that as he neared Damascus in his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Don't miss that. I want to talk about that in just a moment. Who are you? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Here's a, here's a great thought. Saul wasn't literally persecuting Jesus. Like Jesus had died. Jesus had come back from the dead. He had risen, ascended to the Father in heaven. He was persecuting the followers of Jesus. Don't you see how personal uh, Jesus takes it when you mess with his kids? I love that. It's like, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting my, my followers? Verse six says, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what to do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but not seen anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he had opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blinded. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here's what happened. Paul is persecuting Christians, um, trying to wipe them off the face of the earth, and he has this encounter with Jesus. In fact, Paul knew more about the history of, of the Bible, knew more about the Old Testament, about God, what they had prophesied the Messiah to look like and be like than most people did, but all that information was meaningless. He had this, this transformation, he had this experience with Jesus that radically changed his life. In fact, if you read a little further uh, in Acts chapter 9, God sends a guy named Ananias to, to Paul to pray for him. And Ananias is like, I ain't going. Like, I'm not going to do it. I don't, I don't want to do it because Paul had a, a reputation, right, that he would kill Christians, that he would imprison Christians. And I, I take comfort in the fact that even people in the Bible, when God asked them to do something, like push back. And we're like, I'm not going to do it. But eventually, you know, God said, I've been working on Saul. I've been working on his, on his heart. It's going to be okay. So Ananias goes and prays, you know, over Paul. And immediately something like scales falls from his eyes. His eyes are opened. He can see again. And then in that same verse, by the way, he gets baptized like that, which is a, a great reason for some of you who you've crossed the line of faith. You've said yes to Jesus. Like the next step that Jesus asks us to take as followers of him is to go public with that. It's to say, this is who I'm standing with. And that's really what baptism is. It's the outward expression of something that's already happened inside your life that you want to tell everybody that you are with Jesus. And if you haven't done that yet, I would encourage you, man, come back next weekend, Sunday night. We're going to party. Uh, we called it, you know, Cinco de Mayo, like Cinco de Mayo for a reason. But it's going to be a celebration for us. We're going to watch as people go public with their faith. And then immediately after that, we see that Paul is now preaching the gospel, that he's in the synagogues telling people that Jesus was in fact the son of God because found people, find people, rescue people, rescue people. And that's what he determined now to give his, his life to. But this is what I want you to follow me on. How in the world does a guy go from one minute hating Christians, giving his life to to getting rid of them, to wiping them off the face of the earth, to the next minute planting churches, the next minute telling everyone that he can, when he can, that Jesus was the, the son of God, that he was who he says he was. How do you do that? How do you go from hating one minute to loving the next minute? See, there was something deeper that happened in this encounter with Jesus than just an assignment change 
than just a, a what change. It wasn't that he got a new job. It wasn't that now he's gonna go plant churches. It wasn't that now he's gonna tell people who Jesus is. It wasn't even that he got a new why. That why now he just all of a sudden loved people that he you know, had hated previously. What changed what happened in Paul's life? I would like to submit there, there's another level that he didn't just get a new what even though he did. He didn't just get a new why, get a new why even though he did. But Paul got a new who, a new who he was. In that moment, God changed his name from Saul to Paul. And it wasn't just a, a name change, it was a heart change. When you have an encounter with, with the living God, he doesn't just change your, your name, he changes your nature. Like the very essence of, of who you are, he got a heart change, and now he, he didn't just get a what change or a why change, but his, his who changed. Who he now was, and that influenced everything else that he did. It influenced his why, and it influenced his, his what. And if you've crossed that line of faith, and you've said yes to following Jesus, you should know that maybe you're not living it out fully. You understand the, the full perspective of it, you know, what that means. But not only did God change your what and your why, he changed your who in that moment. Changed your heart. In fact, this is why I believe that Jesus is the answer for the broken world that we live in. Because he's the only one, come on, that can change your heart. Like, he's the answer for, for the hate that we even saw last week, Easter weekend in Sri Lanka, right? As terrorists, you know, killed Christians, like in churches. Like, he's the answer for the hate that we see in our own city. He's the answer for the hate we see in our own, our own nation because we don't just need a, a what change or a why change. We need a who change, and the only one who can bring that is Jesus. Is it. And if you've said yes to Jesus, your who has changed. Who you are at the very core on the inside of you. So because this is so important as we kick off this series, know thyself. Here's the question I want you to answer. Who are you? Like, who are you? Now, I think when I ask that question, a lot of you, your mind immediately goes to, well, well I'm, a, I'm a doctor. No, that's what you do. Perhaps that's not who you are. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. No, what you do, thank you for doing it. That's a great do, but that's not who you are. Who are you? Like, I'm a mechanic. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an electrician. Nope, what you do, not who you are. And the reason why this is so important, because if you don't know who you are, then you're going to constantly be confused in your why, and you're going to constantly be frustrated in your what. And the reason this is so huge is because some of us, we always try to fix the what. And we go from relationship to relationship to relationship or job to job to job because we're looking for a, a new what and we're hoping that new what can actually help us determine who we are. So we get into a new relationship, not because we didn't like the last relationship, but we think maybe this time, this person, this guy, this girl can help me figure out who I actually am. Not realizing that, that it wasn't about the relationship, that it was about me. We start the new job, hoping that that new job will do something inside of us that the last job didn't do. But it has nothing to do with the job. It has all things to do with the who. 
See, it's always been identity before destiny. Identity before destiny. A lot of us start out with destiny. This is what I'm going to do. This is what God wants me to do. But God wants us to start with identity, who you are. So let me ask you, who are you? Who are you? And who informs who you are? Who tells you that's who you are? Does your job tell you who you are? If your job informs who you are, what happens if you don't have that job tomorrow? You wake up, you're not a teacher. Then who are you then? Are you still who you are? If you, you can't be a mechanic any longer, you can't be a, an electrician any longer, like who are you then? Who informs who you are? Does culture inform who you are? So every time culture changes, do you change? Because you shift with, with the culture of who you are? Like who are you? And who told you that? Who told you who you were? Are you, are you the sum of your past mistakes? That's who you say you are? Are you what other people have spoken over your life? Like, who are you? You have to answer that question from the beginning. Who are you? Because here's what I know. If this is wrong, then this is messed up. And then this is messed up. But if this is right, then everything else flows from that, flows, flows through that. So who are you? And the reason why this is huge is because I think most of us have a bad understanding of who we are. Understanding means the, the truth that we stand under. So what truth are you standing under as it relates to who you are and who told you that? And I'm never going to be our, or Colby, I'm just a fill in the blank. All right, who told you that? I'm never going to, you know, do this. Who told you that? You have to answer the question, who are you and what truth are you believing? Because I think a lot of us, we are blind like Paul was in that moment. And we can't really see who we really are. And the only way to, to erase that story of who we say we are, we live under a, a false truth, is to, is to replace it to tell ourselves a new story. You can't just erase the story that's been written over your life by praying it away. I hope you know that. Some of you are like, well, I don't have to pray anymore. That's not what I'm saying, all right? You should pray every single day. But you don't just pray it away. In fact, you tell yourself a, a new story, a new truth that you are standing under of who you are. There's a story in Matthew chapter nine where this lady had this, this issue of blood. She was bleeding for 12 years, bleeding for 12 years. And every doctor she'd gone to had told her, no hope. Every, in fact, she'd spent all the money that she had, we learned, going to see all these different people, doctors, authorities, trying to find out any information she could about her bleeding. So the story of her life up until this point was no hope. She was broke and just never had any, any you know, hope for getting healed, getting better at all. But she heard that Jesus was coming through town. And she thought, if I, could just, if I could just see him, right, if I can just meet him, if I can get close enough to him and touch, the Bible says, the hem of his garment, his cloak, then I will be healed. In fact, this is what it says in verse 20, just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind Jesus, reached out and touched the edge of his cloak. And in that moment, she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. And she was. In fact, the Bible tells us that um, in the, it says that some virtue, Jesus said some virtue has left me. I think that's King James. Uh, other versions say some power has left me. 
You know, in this moment, in this crowd, shoulder to shoulder, Jesus knew that someone had touched her. And in that moment, she was, she was healed. But it says she said to herself, now that sounds like a small detail, but nothing is put in God's word by accident. Said She said to herself, not to her friends, not to her, her co-workers, not to her family. She said to herself, I want you to follow me on this. The Bible says this woman had gone to every doctor she could. She had gone to every, every authority she could. She had spent all the money that she, she had. And everyone was telling her, no, no, no. It's not going to work. There is no hope. You're broke. You're never going to get any better. But one day, she said, here's my opportunity. And she determined she had a window when Jesus was going to pass by. And if I can just touch him, if I could just but touch him, she said to herself, then I could be healed. And that carries with it in the, in the text this idea that she said it over and over and over again. She said to herself, if I could just, if I could just, if I could touch. And she did. And she was healed in that moment because she spoke to herself a new story in her life. Everyone else had told her, nope, 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 not going to happen, not good enough. But because she said to herself, I need somebody to hear this today. Some of you are speaking the wrong words over your life, over your story, over and over and over. Not good enough, broke, without hope, whatever it is. And the only way to replace that story that you've written is to tell yourself a new one. And you will never know your destiny apart from first understanding your identity in Christ. You got to speak to yourself. Tell yourself a new story. Some of you are like, holy, that's crazy. If I talk to myself, people are going to think I'm crazy. Okay. Listen, that's fine. But if you want what you've always had, keep doing what you're always doing. But if somebody in this house today wants wants something different, wants to break the cycle of their what's always being frustrating to them, you want to break the cycle of your, your why's always being confused, then you need to tell yourself a new story and understand who God says that you are. You are not the sum total of your bad mistakes. You are not who others say you are. You are who God says you are. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's the truth that you need to stand under. Some of you are standing under the wrong truth. You have a bad understanding of the who. When God has a, a new story that he wants to write over your life. And he wants to tell you who you are. And according to God's word, there's a lot of truth that he says you are. That you can begin to tell yourself. In fact, let me give you, let me give you some verses um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, this, anyone is in, in Christ, they are a new creation. So all that old stuff that you've been telling yourself, that's gone. Like you need to tell yourself, I am a new creation. The old is gone, the, the new has come. You need to tell yourself a new story. First Peter 2, 9 says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation that you are God's special possession. That's how he sees you. Some of you, the, the story that you're telling yourself is not that at all. That you are no good, you are worthless, you don't have any value. But you need to tell yourself what God tells you. You're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. Like you're his own special possession. John 1.12 says, yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. That's who you are. In Christ, you are a child of God. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, you're my friend. 
That's how God sees you. He sees you as, as his friend. I'm a sinner. Well, Jesus was a friend of sinners. You are his, his friend, for we are God's handiwork. That means masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Listen to me. That's who you are. That's the truth that you need to stand under for your life. Stop standing under the lies that you've told yourself or that everyone else has told you about you. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Keep going. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's the truth some of you need to stand under today. That Jesus died so you could be forgiven. You could be redeemed through the blood that he shed for you on the cross. You need to stand under that truth. Maybe you haven't done that. And he wants to change your who when you do. Let's keep going. We are there for Christ's ambassadors. You're his representative now to the world. One more, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Some of you just need to hear that. He chose you. He loved you so much. He chose you. So stop trying to change every what that you have and why you have and start understanding who you are in God. You need to wake up every day perhaps and tell yourself the truth that God says about you. Well, just like the woman with the issue of blood, right? Hey, if, if I could just, if I could just, I will be healed. You need to tell yourself a new story. I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm free. And you know what? Here's what happens. Here's what happens when you do. When you understand who you are, so good, I can't wait to give this to you. When you understand who you are, now you can walk in all your what's. Your job your relationships, in your relationships, you can say, you know what? I love you, but I don't need you. I don't need you to fill something inside of me because I already know who I am. I'm glad you're with me. Come on, let's do this together. But I don't need you because I know who I am in God, in your job. Man, I I don't need it. I mean, I love it. I want to succeed. You know, if it's a raise or promotion, I'll take it, you know, in Jesus' name. You know, give me that. I'll use it for the glory of God. But I don't need it because I don't need my validation to come from it. I know who I I am. And when you know who you are, now you live your life from a, a place of affirmation and validation, not living your life searching for it any longer. Like you already have it. And Jesus, that's who you are. So who are you? After this amazing uh, experience Paul had, Saul had with Jesus, turn his name to Paul. He goes and plants these churches and one of the letters that he writes to a church uh, in Romans that he helped to start. In Romans chapter eight, it says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It continues to say that what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Like we have God in our corner. We know why we are, we are here. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, when you know who you are, you know why you are. And who you are is you are loved by God. You are who God says you are. Why you are is that, is that you are called Colby, what am, I, what am I called to? I'm not going to tell you. You have to come back next week to learn that, all right? Just so you know. Leave you hanging. 
But I just think right now we should just park on this. Some of you don't know who you are. And you need to stand under the truth that God says about you, about who you are, how he loves you, how he sent Jesus to die for you, to free you from sin, guilt, shame. I don't know what motivated you to come today, but I know who God says you are. And some of you just need to receive that. You need to start there because when that's right, your why will be right and your what will be right. And it won't matter because you're not gaining anything from those anyway because you already know who you are. Here's what I want us to do. If you bow your head, close your eyes. Ask yourself that question. Who am I? Like, who am I really? How would I answer that? Would I say my job? Would I say what I do? Like, who are you? I pray today that some of you, your eyes are open just like Paul's were. The scales will fall off. That you will understand you are who Jesus says that you are. That you are chosen, you are valuable, you are loved, you are forgiven in him. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That you would take ownership of what God has to say about you. And if you would push back and say, Colby, but you don't really know my story. You don't know what I've done. Can I tell you something? All those verses that we read, they were true about you before you walked in this room, and they will be true about you when you leave. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter the road that you've, you've traveled. Saul was a Christian killer. And the last thing some of you need is more information, information, information about Jesus you need a transformation. You need a name change and a nature change and understand who you are. The way we do that, the way we get there is we surrender our life to Jesus because he's the only one that can change a heart. He's the only one that can change our who. Stop trying to do it through the what and the why. Start looking to who wants to give you a new life. And maybe he's drawn you to this moment right here to surrender your life, to, to live under the truth of who he says you are. And the way we do that is through prayer. We just confess our sins and we believe that, that Jesus is who he says he was. And I've been praying that we would just have an experience with God today, an encounter with him like Paul had, where he changes your heart. He opens your eyes. He gives you a new who. And he sets you on a new path and a new direction for your life. If you'd say, Colby, that's what I need. This is why I'm here. I need a new who. I need a new heart. I need a fresh start. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer that does that. It's the way we confess our sins. It's the way we believe that Jesus is who he says he was, that he died for us. From that moment on, the Bible says that we're saved, we're set free. But then God wants to continue to work inside of our lives and in our hearts. He wants to continue to show us who we are in him. And I want to lead you in that prayer. If you'd say, Colby, when you pray that, I'm praying right along with you. No one's looking around, every head bowed, every eyes closed. If you'd say, God, I need a new who in my life. I'm going to surrender my life to you. Would you just lift your hand up high right now? Just acknowledge before God, say, God, here I am. I need a new who. I need a new who. Awesome, 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 awesome. I need a new who. I need to know who I am in you. 
Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you that today everything that is going to flow in my life is going to flow from who I am in you and nothing else. Awesome. You can put your hands down. I'm going to invite you to pray alongside of me. You say something like this. You can use your own words. Just, just the most important thing is that you believe it in your heart and that you mean it. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I need a new who. I know that you can change me from the inside out. So forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for always trying to change the what or the why and for not knowing who I am in you. God, set me free from my sin nature so you can give me a new one. God, give me a new heart today. I confess Jesus as Lord, and I believe that God raised him from the dead so I would not have to to die in my sin, but that I could be set free as well. I trust today, God, that I'm standing under the truth of who you say I am. I am now a child of God. I am now chosen. I am now redeemed. I am now loved and set free in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, you guys. Let's celebrate with those today. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there will be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to fueling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.